What is going on, everybody? It is episode 94 of Pop Culture Crisis. My name is Brett. I'm here with my co-host. Introduce yourself, please. Hi, I'm Mary. Hello, everyone. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. We are finally getting started. We uh, uh, we have a guest today. We have a guest today. Introduce yourself, sir. Chris Carr, executive editor for the news team at TimCast.com. Uh, who was locked out of the office today. Um, not a big deal. Uh, I I, uh, I did not check my messages. He almost and froze it, to it, death, Brett. It, it, it could have happened out here in the very cold month of April in <laughs> uh, in Maryland. It just so happened I had a cigar with me to keep me warm, so Perfect. it was fine. Yeah, Perfect. it all worked out. It was. Uh, we were just getting you ready for the show. Exactly. You, you yeah. needed that time to to get to get set. Yes. So we had a bunch of stuff to talk about. It's the story that will never end. We're going to talk about <laughs> Will Smith. Uh, I, I really do think at this point now, um, it's just going to go on forever. I, I was explaining that to Mary. I said news comes in cycles, but it will feel like you're talking about the same thing. Over and over again, as new stuff comes out. So we're going to talk about that in his Oscars ban, which came through. We are going to talk about the right, the creator of the character, America Chavez, who will be featured in the upcoming Marvel film by Sam Raimi called Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, he has pay disputes and issues with money. We have Michael Bay talking about what he believes is the death of the American dream, which I found particularly fascinating given uh, the reputation he has amongst uh, specific critics within the industry. Uh, and then we've got um, Mads Mikkelsen, and I knew this one would make Chris very happy because he's uh he basically says that method acting is bullshit so we will see if that is if that is true so if you guys are ready we'll just get right into it are we ready ready so ready okay Let's do it. all right so topic number one is Will Smith receives 10-year ban from the Oscars for assaulting Chris Rock can still be nominated for and win awards um I I, I think like I'm in the minority here like I I felt like this was ridiculous like too much uh, You're not in the minority in thinking that. I'm not. Okay. Uh, I thought this was oh, like I maybe maybe it's like a, one of those things where it becomes like about where you get your information. But it felt like everything that I was saying was people saying like he should have been banned for life. Uh, and I was just like, ten years seems like a long time for something where the security didn't even do their job, and Chris Rock didn't want to press any charges. The the uh, LAPD or I think it's the LAPD mm -hmm. had more than enough to press charges on their own. Decided not to press charges, which goes to show you about who has all the power uh, in that area. But uh, am I uh, in the wrong here to think that this was too much time for a ban? There should have been no ban at all. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe give him a year. I don't know. Maybe say he can't attend next year or five, even five years. I don't know. Like it's all arbitrary. It's not like there's any guidebook in the book. There's no like Oscars guidebook that says like physical assault is five years. You know, it's not like this is like I'm imagining like an Oscars judge uh, who looks uh, remarkably like Judge Joe Brown or maybe Judge Judy uh, and is up there with a gavel giving him his sentence. But ten years felt a lot to me for something where they're milking, they're getting more out of it than anybody. The the industry is. It's silly. It's silly. I think that I, what I would like to see instead is 10 years of mandatory nominations for Will Smith. <laughs> no matter what uh, junk he puts out every year, I think he should get nominated every year. And then we have actual reason to tune in because you don't know what he's going to do. I mean, this, this. I mean, like maybe I, he rises to the occasion every year and makes a I great movie. I love that. Now, you talk about views. I would watch yeah. that. Like, and the, the Oscars since I was a kid were like my Super Bowl every year. I was so wow. excited for. It. Like, so you that was were a big like deal. you were the one person who actually. I was the one person. Yeah, I, it's like I'm I'm a boomer and a Gen Xer in a millennial body. Like, I really I I always put are you a lot technically of stock. are you Gen are you a millennial? Like I am me? technically okay. a millennial. So, so yeah. yeah, we and you are definitely not uh, like uh, we're not Gen Xers, but not at all. I I, I have the personality of a Gen Xer. Yes, I'd like, I'd like yeah. to think because um, we're on the the early end yes. of the millennial. I'm 35. Cutoff. So I'm I'm 36 yeah. or seven, one of the two. Okay, so 
So you think that he should have just been forced to be nominated every year, and he actually has to make a movie every year? Because the 10-year ban is silly. Like, I mean, either it should have been handled by law enforcement in a sane way when it happened, which mm -hmm. would have been even cooler than actually what happened. Like, if you saw the police escort mm -hmm. Will Smith out, and then he gets the award, and he's not, he can't accept it. Now, that's exciting. I would have loved to see that. But since that Chris didn't Rock happen, comes up on stage and accepts the award for him. Oh, my God. You see, this is this is the kind of stuff that would just have me levitating. Yeah. I love that. They didn't capitalize on this moment, Not clearly. at all. Yeah. They've capitalized yeah. on it in the media. It's like, in, uh, it's like I said, Ukraine gone nobody, gone. Care, nobody cares uh like uh everything joe rogan's uh, stuff gone for the time being and all that matters is will smith his publicist must love it like uh he'll come back from this you know, like I, I it's like i don't see him not coming back from this so it says uh in the article and this is from bounding into comics it says in a consequence that reportedly will have no effect on his eligibility to be nominated or receive any future academy awards newly crowned best actor winner will smith has received a 10-year attendance ban from the ceremonies on his of, because of his now infamous slapping of comedian chris rock by the way chris rock like basically said like i'm not talking about it unless you pay me <laughs> he, he wants that 60 minute he wants that 60 yep. minutes money which I'm I'm all for. Like give them it's like and that's when he walked up to me and he was walking I saw a slight limp. My with heart his was pounding yes. in yep. my chest. Mm -hmm. dun, 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 dun. Dun. He had a slight <laughs> limp on his left leg. Maybe he was sitting awkwardly. Like all this stuff, like we all saw it anyway. Like what can he actually tell us that, that wouldn't be there? Like I looked at the security guard Merv in the corner, uh, and Marv didn't have anything, like he didn't stop him at all. I want to know where the security that's what I want. Merv. I want the Merv oh that's uh but I want the docu-series about the security guard who did nothing and how his career in security guarding goes down the tubes and he has to have his own redemption arc and Will Smith actually hires him as his personal security uh, and it becomes like a made-for-TV movie. That's pretty dope, but yeah. I, I also want to see the character. This is something I've been thinking about a lot. Is the person that's just like sleeping with their eyes open, watching <laughs> the broadcast, and their job is to just censor anything that's like the five, out of the, the or, or, five second, the or like it's like yes. it's like a ten second delay. Yeah, I wanted uh, to see what their thought process was, and they just like woke up from whatever wide eyed not, slumber that they're it's on. It's not nudity. Yeah, I, I don't. Am I supposed to censor this? Like, I don't know if yeah. this is if this is supposed to happen or not. Right. It yeah, says, I want to know what's going on with that guy. So it says, uh, noting that today the Board of Governors convened a meeting to discuss how to best how best to respond to Will Smith's actions at the Oscars, in addition to accepting his previously issued resignation. Like, I mean, yeah, may maybe they should have just banned him from being part of the uh, of the committee. Like, oh. you don't in you don't embrace the values that we as the board of whatever whatever those values are yeah those Some nebulous values those, right. those <laughs> nebulous corporately written values that sound like a publicist like wrote them up uh and it probably includes the word synergy yeah, in there like at, at some point so they're going on and they talk about it and i wanted to know like is this um so you said the alternative punishment should be that he's just has to be nominated every year does he have to fund that movie himself or does he have to ideally yeah i mean i think that he's in a place to where he can <laughs> fund and kind of shepherd whatever projects he decides to be the star of. I mean, this is the thing is that like, you know, the Oscars were originally started. They weren't tel televised to begin with, you know, when they first started handing out awards. But the whole thought process behind having Academy Awards was to prove that these people out in L.A. that were making movies weren't just total. It wasn't a Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah out there. Yeah. The idea was that, no, we are Which it is people. a Sodom and Gomorrah. Out right. There. And even it was in the 20s and 30s. You know, that's why yeah. they had the Hayes Code. That's why they had all these kind of restrictions and, and like legitimate censorship because they thought that it was just, you know, a free for all out in L.A. And they wanted to show that they are respectable, you know, good people that are able to make, you know, uh, respectable movies that have social values and something that America can really stand behind. 
And this this was like this moment where that whole facade just cracked. Yeah. And we saw that. We saw straight through that. I mean, we know what's going on out there to some extent, but we saw right through that. And I think they need to capitalize on the fact that this is just nonsense at this point. We're in a post-Empire world. We can't keep continuing to think that the Oscars are something that people care about. Yep. Or something, or we can't just buy into this idea that it's all about virtue and values. It's uh, the natural end to like a, a completely performative show of virtue is the is the world we live in now, where everything is performative virtue. I posted something yesterday from Fee Online talking about how you do not need to post. Like, if everybody's saying something, you don't need to say it as well for fear of being you shouldn't have to live in fear that people are going to think that because you didn't say something uh you somehow believe the opposite you have the right to not engage um and that but the oscars are all about engaging on surface level uh virtue i, I do think this is there's this funny i i, I was curious about people who've been banned from the oscars i love the company he's in because it's kind of like um you know the movie where some like uh dude from the suburbs end up in jail with a bunch of hardened criminals will smith is essentially that person in oscar in oscar jail so there's this article from entertainment it says everybody who's been banned from the oscars by the academy and there's one other person it's carmine caridi who is banned this is my favorite for uh, for pirating screeners intended for Academy members <laughs> uh, only to view uh, for the voting process and allowing screeners to be leaked on the internet so I like the idea of him as like a hacker like this, <laughs> this old guy who's like in his 80s like paying some dude who looks like who's wearing like a, a guy fox mask and looks like somebody from anonymous uh and like leaking screeners online onto like uh, uh onto like uh pirate bay uh but then you look at the rest of them harvey weinstein Just all sexual bill predators. cosby <laughs> roman polanski adam kimmel and adam the a adam kimmel one i didn't know but he was expelled for his history as a sex offender when it emerged that he was arrested twice for statutory assaults on minors he was removed from the academy membership uh like when they found out about this i guess it speaks to like the the speed in which information travels now back in the day they're like yeah roman polanski's fine what he got into what he did what now mm. uh now you don't have that excuse uh you can't make that excuse anymore that uh that you didn't know but it says uh in 70s you know about roman polanski right oh yeah absolutely it says yeah he fled to france in 77 mm -hmm. after after pleading guilty to unlawful sex with a minor that's always with minors with these people or it's always drugged uh right. yeah it's it's um it's why you should never ever whether wherever you fall um, on the spectrum of values and virtue, never let these people tell you how to live and never let them take what they believe to be moral high ground because they have absolutely no moral high ground to stand on. They're literally in negative moral high ground. They're in low ground. They, 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 should, be, they should be about like three feet down with a shovel from where they sit because they let this stuff happen and they're part of an industry that's knowingly allowed this stuff to happen for years. It's why I get so frustrated when I read articles about this stuff where the articles cover it and they're like the history, but they always equate it to America and not to the industry. It should not be equated to American values. It should be equated to Hollywood values, which are yeah. very, very different from your traditional uh, American family. Their but dysfunction is like why they feel the need to just beat ordinary people over the head with their preaching. Mm. Yep. And, and it never comes off well ever uh one of my biggest pet peeves is when they anytime they show middle america in hollywood it's always this ridiculous caricature of 
I will be fair. Like when we talked about the uh, um, the bubble, I do believe that they 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 caricature themselves when needed, right? Like they, so they they're able to do that, but it's done with far less malice than the way, or maybe mm. that's my interpretation. But it feels to me as if their own um, hyperbolic interpretation of themselves is done with far less malice. It's done with endearment, but when they make fun of ordinary people, it's contempt. Exactly, mm-hmm. that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Like you, it's a wink and a nod when mm-hmm. it's them. When it's Middle America, it's oh look at these backwa back backwater backwoods uh, uh plebs who don't understand the way the real world works out on the coast mm-hmm. uh in the academy and their willingness to let this stuff go for years is uh, just uh, a sign of how far it's gotten before uh, action needed to be taken so I, I i thought this was maybe the most interesting part other than just jada and there's just so they uh did you see the thing about uh how she never mm-hmm. wanted to marry mm-hmm. will smith um mm-hmm. and she said the wedding was horrible uh the more i looked into it like i she was like sick during the wedding but to me this whole thing she said you sent me the video earlier that we'd seen of, of like her like filming him and he's like uh he's like you know maybe asked before he feels oh, yeah. it feels like he's being abused yeah to me yeah. it mm-hmm. feels like he's uh very much uh under her thumb at all times and his action was like a an overreaction out of fear as to what was going to happen if he didn't do something about it Mm -hmm. so i don't know if that's what that is if it is he's paying dearly for it now i don't know if this helps his career down the line but i don't think his career needed help i thought his career was going was moving along just fine he's had like three renaissance in his whole you know between uh starting off on the fresh prince becoming action star of the 90s with bad boys and uh independence day etc to later on doing what what was the movie about uh cte the the one where he's like the college or the the football uh the doctor who recognized the football players who had the injuries he did that way it, oh, it that. might have literally yeah. been called concussion uh, i think so uh, yeah. and so that and then he has his other action renaissance because he's doing like or like he did focus which i actually really enjoyed um and then suicide squad all this so he has had multiple uh careers in, in within his one career and this is i i don't think that I don't think it's right to think that this is what he'll be remembered for. I think this will end up in five years. We'll be like, remember when he slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars. Hmm. I I don't think this ends up being his legacy. For a reason unknown to us, uh, he's getting clearly dragged through a humiliation ritual of some kind. Yep. And I think the perfect way to cap that would be to have him host the the Oscars (laughs) next year. Yes. Like I'm allowed and to host, and then maybe he'll but... be able to rewrite the narrative a little bit. He... Or it'll just be worse. <laughs> it, it could be worse. I, I I think he's uh he's charismatic enough that he can get through this if he wants. Uh, uh to be honest, it's not like he uh, uh there's things he could like in in today's society saying the wrong pronouns or insulting someone um from an LGBTQ uh community might be considered worse than than physically assaulting another person in oh, holly in hollywood's eyes yeah. he, there's far more chance that he comes back from this than he would something like that hmm perhaps i don't know i mean i used to think of him as very charismatic but uh, i don't know what really came across in the event at the oscars was that he's extremely unstable he's uh well he's uh yeah he's he's beaten like down. so i mean but who in hollywood that has that level of a career isn't at some in some ways unstable but i mean that kind of unstable is is pretty unheard of yeah you know well, because I mean, his marriage is unstable mm-hmm. and then when it's getting attacked on the public stage he feels like he needs to defend it in some way immediately. Their podcast just like, flew off the handle. Their podcast where they where they talk about all the family stuff. That's the worst thing they could do to him. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's literally like watching someone be like abused and uh, and taken take advantage of 
in real time and people just watch it. And like, I can't watch, like I watch the clips. Like, like when you sent me the clip earlier, that's about as much as I can watch of him being degraded by mm-hmm. his, by but his Some wife. people were saying that it was just acted out and they're just messing around for, uh, I mean, more attention. I don't know. It's not like we can prove yeah. that either way. Like, right. uh, but I, more I, likely is that Jada is just a piece of work and yeah, she's just she's, uh, berating him all the time. My favorite was the one where he planned the birthday party for three years. Yeah. Um, did you hear about that? Mm-mm, okay. No. All right. So I'll, this article says refer, resurfaced clip shows Jada Pinkett or Jada's ungrateful reaction after Will spends three years planning surprise party. <laughs> like you read this stuff and you're like, no wonder he slapped Chris Rock. Yeah. Like so it says yeah. a resurfaced clip from Jada Pinkett Smith's Red Table Talk series, otherwise known as the Will Smith Abuse series, <laughs> uh, shows how husband Will once spent three years planning a surprise birthday party only for her to not quite display the reaction he'd hoped for the couple spoke about the time when jada now 50 was celebrating her 40th birthday and will had decided to take it upon himself to throw a lavish surprise uh do uh, however things didn't go as well as he'd hoped in fact her reaction was so bad it sent will into a low point while jada admitted it ended up being a turning point in their relationship the two were speaking okay so they go down he says uh, uh basically what happened is like she found out and he's like uh he says, uh, the day after her 37th party or 37th birthday, I hired a team to orchestrate her 40th birthday party. Turning to daughter Willow, he continued, I hired a documentary team. I traced mom's fa- mommy's family roots. Her 40th birthday was going to be my thing. Jada then cut in with a look of disappointment on her, uh, on her face. It was going to be a splash. Will then shared the details about how he arranged it, saying Mary J. Blige performed. I debuted the film, all of that. It was going to be the thing that lifted uh, her out of this midlife crisis. It was going to be my deepest, most beautiful proclamation of love. And she told me that the party was the most ridiculous display of my ego. Hmm. It might have been both. Yeah, that's hard to say. She's a, not necessarily wrong. She, she's yeah. not yeah. wrong, but maybe time and place. Maybe, maybe, maybe you wait a while and you have that discussion um, in private, like a week later or two weeks later. Like, may, hey, maybe I think that 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 uh, that was a little bit more as much about you as it was about me. But it's because his ego is wrapped up in her opinion yes. of him. Mm-hmm. He's opi- obviously he needs her approval. So yeah, it was about his ego, but it was also about displaying like his loyalty to her. My favorite was like the first comment says, if you treat her like a star, she'll treat you like a fan. <laughs> you know what? That's true. He's not wrong. I mean, it's yeah. like, yeah, like, uh, it's like nobody, like, it's like the people who send celebrities or like uh, internet or, or even like an e-girl and they send them comments or like, let's go out. I'm like, that's no, that's not going like, to happen. Do you genuinely believe Think that they're that going to answer gonna, you? Yeah. Um, so he's kind of treating her as if uh, she was his very own personal e-girl uh, and, and not like, the somebody he's supposed to be like an equal to mm-hmm. in, in a relationship that's uh you know given us two kids or is it three kids two two right, right? it's just the, it's yeah. just Jada as as and, know, and yeah. the kids seem to be on her side for yes. some reason hmm. i also like it was so funny i had no idea that until uh, that jade uh, i think i told you that last time it's like jade in yeah. <laughs> willow uh, i i didn't even, i didn't even make that connection until later so there so there's ego on both sides here if they literally need their own names to be fe- to be in their kids uh uh in their kids names like to be uh fit in there so i just feel like we're watching someone kind of slowly self-destruct on the inside uh and the oscars uh gave him a 10-year ban which to me felt completely arbitrary Mm -hmm. totally arbitrary uh, so uh, what would his movies have to be about 
just whatever junk that I'm not interested in seeing. Because we, we talked about this on, a, on a, a podcast a while back about how, you know, when you put Denzel against Will Smith, like Denzel's more of a cinema icon and Will yes. Smith's more of a cultural icon because Will Smith doesn't really make very good movies. You know, he's made a few, but yeah. not a lot. Like Denzel has like the weight of really powerful, interesting work. Yeah. Will Smith doesn't have that in my view, you know? So it doesn't really matter what movies he makes. I think he's just going to continue to make whatever junk comes along the way that he finds interesting or award worthy. I don't even, do you think he'll bid for awards in the future? Or do you think he's just going to like, yeah, like, like well, what, how submit, do you pivot at this cause, point? Because to get a, to get an Oscar, you have to submit. You yeah. have to submit your name for like your work for uh, for review. So maybe he just maybe he's or maybe he makes a bunch of movies and he makes like one really good one and one really bad one, but he only submits the bad one. Mm. That would be cool. Like he, he troll he trolls the Oscars from now on and only makes or he makes a movie about award shows. I don't think he has the will left <laughs> inside of him to try to turn this around. The mm -hmm. Jada would have mm -hmm. to write it. Jada, yeah, Jada, Jada would have to write it. <laughs> oh, could you imagine? <laughs> That'd be great. Jada makes a documentary now about her experience with Will slapping. He's like, I'm going to make this one. If you're going to make my 40th birthday about you, I'm going to make your Oscar slap about me. Her whole yeah. thing was like, I don't need to be defended by anyone. You're just belittling me. <laughs> like He cannot do right. He can't win. Yeah. And then if yeah. he hadn't done that, she'd be like, what? You don't love me enough to stand up for me? That's, yeah. that's what would have happened. Exactly. I, I tell you how he wins in my book. He goes on a string of performances of like uh, notoriously real life awful people. Like I want to see him play like Ike Turner. I want to see him be like Suge Knight. Uh, Suge Knight. Yes. Yeah. I want to see him be uh, 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 Michael Jackson's dad. You know, just a, just a series of like uh. horrible characters. And he submits to Oscars and he keeps winning. Yep. That's he, what I want to see. He turns it around by becoming like a, a famous bad guy. Like, yes. I'm not the like he's like he uses it as like a uh, form of like artistic transformation he's like i'm not i'm not the fresh prince anymore mm -hmm. i'm will smith or i'm i'm michael jackson's dad or i'm suge knight or i'm ike turner i'm Dope. bobby brown bobby brown man i love it perfect i love it will I'm, we're, we sign off on this completely you got to make it happen yes we're that's how you pivot bro <laughs> his maybe his maybe his agent will tell him what to do we'll tell him to do that <laughs> not in our lifetimes no pro <laughs> pro probably not all right, so we're going to talk about America Chavez. Uh, so this is really interesting because this comes down to pay disputes and stuff like this and how it's different when you work for... Uh, when books are adapted for uh, the screen, the writer has some say in like what they're going to get because they negotiated a contract with the publishing house. But most of these comic creators, uh, you know, they, they're paid to create characters for the publisher, right? So if you work for Marvel or DC, you don't own the characters you create. They own the character. You're paid either per, I mean, most of them are paid page rates um, for how they, get, uh, how they get that done. So this is an article that says, America Chavez co-creator declines Marvel's insult of an offer for Doctor Strange 2. So this is, uh, I think somebody say late stage capitalism or something like that. Uh, writer Joe Casey, who says he was offered a pittance ahead of his character's big screen debut, is speaking out in hopes that he could help other creators. There are still systemic flaws in the way that, uh, in the way that creators are neither respected nor rewarded. Uh, this is going to be uh, an ongoing debate that will happen now that, uh, I mean, uh, with comic books being as big as they are in the adaptation world. Um, my favorite being uh, an example of this, not in film, but is uh, I think that uh, Joe Schuster and um, um, was paid like $130 for the rights to Superman. Yeah. Mm. In 1938. In like I don't know what that is in modern dollars, but uh, 
even with inflation, still and it, not, not even. Not it's yeah, not like when, when you really think about it. Yeah. And like one of the reasons that they that they, if I if if I'm uh, understanding correctly, that they change like Spider Man uh, into other versions, or they change uh, Superman into Jonathan Kent uh, rather than is it's literally for co- it's 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 financial. It has nothing to do with um. It's got to do with copyright and trademark laws. So like one of the reasons why they don't use, from what I understand, uh, truth justice in the American way anymore is because it's tied to that version of the character so it's money related wow, more than uh, more than anything else and now it's like the new i love the new slogan it's like uh truth justice and a better tomorrow which is like it just sounds like an ad for like an insurance company or, or like some type of corporate office like it's a company you have like no- an allergy medicine yeah like perfect and a better yeah. like or like or like you got like you got your first job out of college at like a at like an ad agency and that's like their their pitch like, <laughs> like we're making a better tomorrow like that's it doesn't feel like a real thing so it says when director sam Raimi's dr strange and the Multiverse of Madness arrives in theaters March 5th or May 5th, excuse me. Audiences will meet America Chavez, the Marvel character, uh, the Marvel comic book character brought to life by young actor Sochi Gomez. I had to look that up before oh, and wow. I, I didn't know how to pronounce Sochi. I, I remember when either. I was on IRL, Tim pronounced it like that. I'm like, eh? <laughs> Exo, like I don't know how to, I didn't know how to pronounce yeah, that, but yeah, it's Sochi yeah. Gomez. Um, uh, and she, by the way, uh, in my opinion, actually looks fairly charismatic in the role, so I, I think she could do a good job. She does not have a ton of credits behind her. Uh, ahead of its release, the fan favorite heroes edition, flag on the play. Um, there is no such thing as fan favorite in America Chavez in the same sentence. That is a lie. That is pure propaganda on this. <laughs> article site nobody actually likes america chavez it doesn't mean that the adaptation couldn't be good but nobody likes america chavez nobody likes uh kamala khan nobody likes riri williams these are just myths uh drawn up by these industries uh the film will also acknowledge that the character such so yes so she is uh it's seen as a win for representation as she is a rare latina superhero in the marvel cinematic universe the film will also acknowledge that the character is gay because what matters in the world now are your immutable characteristics and your sexual orientation that is what really makes things great in the world today gotta check the boxes i'm being very serious right now it's interesting though because she was written in 2011 and and now that's before everything kind of blew up like that and he's in in, realistically if we're talking about the modern comic book industry he's not allowed to write characters like that anymore because you can't have like a straight white dude um writing a latina character that right you don't get her porn of her like perspective as a young latina gay woman he could even though he created the character he couldn't understand her struggle um because that's the world we live in now where you literally are not allowed to write anything we uh, my favorite it's like uh there's uh i listen to a lot of like comics are not something that i have the money or the time or the inclination to to collect anymore because the industry has let me down so bad so many times throughout the years but i still keep up with the industry and they talk a lot about it. it's like they literally brought back segregation mm-hmm. these people like you can't write characters unless you have those exact characteristics in certain cases so but his issue here is with pay basically he's saying that he created this character and he's mentioned in other interviews that he goes out of his way not to create characters for these big publishing houses for that reason because there's no upside to it so he says for comic book writer joe casey seeing uh, chavez soar to new heights is bittersweet casey is proud of his work on america chavez and what and what she represents yet like many comic book writers before him casey feels a tinge of regret watching his creation take off without him being meaningfully compensated for it i mean he has to recognize that these were the terms he agreed to Mm -hmm. but at the same time 
there's the problem that they're not incentivized to be creative if they know yeah. that they are not going to be compensated properly for it in the future. But one of the well, the counter argument to that is like now um, when every character is designed as like a Netflix pitch, the creativity goes out the window because like the budget won't yeah. be the, there won't be a budget to allow us an intergalactic space battle. So we'll have them sitting at a diner eating uh, because that's what people want. People want the world's mightiest, uh, most powerful heroes to sit in a diner and talk about paprika or something stupid like that. <laughs> like, nobody wants that. But they love that stuff. One, because they all loved uh, Joss Whedon uh, and J.J. And Abrams stuff growing up. And two, because they know that when you pitch that, it will work as like, a, like the, the producer of that TV show that you want it to be turned into like, can easily see this becoming a TV show. But for somebody like this, you're right. Like it's, um, they're not incentivized to do that, but that's the contract that they signed for. And the problem is if you don't have like in an industry, like it depends on how valuable your skill set is. And that's hard in the arts. Like if you're, if we're talking, like we talked about unions the other day, if you're in a skilled labor set that requires certifications, uh, and schooling, that's a lot different than office staff unions, which they can just fire you and replace with anyone, right? How do you, uh, how do you gauge a comic writer's value? Because it is a uniquely specialized skill, but also do they really have any bargaining power in an industry where uh, page rates haven't changed much over the years and they can just bring in someone new who, who will do it for, for, for the same amount? Um, so he, he wants to get paid more money and it's a DC is apparently better at this than Marvel. Like uh, Ethan Van Skyver has mentioned on streams, like he gets like, even though DC fired him because of his uh, political leanings or mm. they claim that that's not what it was for, but that he still gets checks for characters he's created when they, cause he's created very big name uh, Green Lantern stuff like that. Like very big name characters that uh, end up on the screen. He gets fairly decent sized money um, every time they're adapted to screen. So it says, now Casey speaks out for the first time about his compensation. He is cautious not to sound aggrieved. Well, yes, he, we're, we're in the age of grievance. He should be sounding more yeah, aggrieved. Yeah, lay it on thick. Lay it on thick. Well, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they, they would be like, it's, you know, you cannot, if you're not even, if you like, they, they, they're not going to take his uh, problems as real because he's a, sit, what was it? Cis white, cis man. white man. Yeah, yeah. How could he understand struggle? <laughs> Now, as Casey speaks out for the first time about his compensation, he's cautious uh, not to sound aggrieved. The writer says he hopes that, go that, going, that ho he hopes going public will help other creators receive better terms when the work is turned into films and streaming and action figures. You have that. That's not this won't do that. They have to actually negotiate. Uh, yeah, that. you don't yeah. receive like, those they're, terms. <laughs> they're not going to the Marvel's not going to look at this and be like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> what are we going to do? He wrote that like there are pieces like this have existed forever. They're going to keep doing what they're doing until these people uh, have the balls to actually tell them, look, I'm not going to work for less than this money. And I want this much if I create this character. And they're just not going to do that. Yeah, like, that's it, that's a nonsense justification for whining. Yeah. I mean, says the fact he, 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 it's funny how in his first sentence he kind of like explains why he's wrong kind of mm -hmm. says, the mm -hmm. fact is marvel owns america chavez <laughs> that's not in dispute on any level but there are still systematic flaws in the way that creators are neither respected nor rewarded casey tells the hollywood reporter marvel publishing declined to comment of course they did because they can just wait this out and the marvel stands will continue loving everything marvel does and this will fall by the wayside it says, during his time at Marvel, Casey never signed any paperwork regarding the character, though he understood Marvel owned everything he created. He's literally making his own argument as to why this isn't, why this is a nonsense article. Mm -hmm. 
and, and maybe it draws more awareness to the problem. But as we know, in these industries, that doesn't mean change is actually going to happen. Um, it says Casey's work at Marvel dates back to the 90s, which credits include uh, titles starring like the X-Men, Hulk, Iron Man, the Avengers, all the characters you've actually heard of. He did not create those characters. They're just saying he's worked mm -hmm. on, on, the biggest, on the biggest publishers. Several years ago, when Casey learned Marvel intended to include America Chavez in the Doctor Strange sequel, he contacted the publishers to request paperwork that would also cover, uh, that would also cover her previous appearances in animated TV series episodes and games. The problem is they work you know, on page rate. So if they get the inspiration to, to create a character, what are you going to drop a new contract every time you do that? Not likely. Uh, and this, and they're just going to tell you to no swap it out for this character that already exists. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no incentive for the studio to, to give him more money. Not really. Uh, I don't think that the new theory, like all those characters that I mentioned earlier, your Kamala Khan's, your Riri Williams, your America Chavez is are not, popular in comparison to a tony stark iron man to a captain america even to a bucky uh, as the winter soldier all those characters are far more are far better known and far more liked they're just going to want you to go back to those which you have no claim to um the popularity it, of his character is being inflated artificially by it's the, not like he changed the game for them yeah in any the, way. you'll get thousands of articles that say like america chavez is the most popular character like and, and everyone's just like who? <laughs> yeah according to who like who like who comicbook.com like okay the, the the ones that are all like arms of disney and, and like live on the fact that they get promo material uh and so their you know their ability to review accurately or to review uh on schedule requires them to have a good relationship with these companies which is extremely incestuous uh and you can't actually expect honest reviews when all of them are just promotional arms of for these movie studios uh, in recent years, creator Jim Starling went public with his pay grievances and ultimately received a better deal from Marvel for the use of the villain Thanos. Yeah, that was a, that was a big one when uh, the Infinity War saga was in the middle of it and they were talking about how he wasn't making almost anything. Uh, so I just, I don't see this actually leading to anything, but is there so, do you think they should be just more steadfast and try to negotiate better contracts? Would you put this on them? Well, of course. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, the more I read into this article, the worse it gets. He says... <laughs> uh, for me, it's not about money. Okay, it's not. It's it's not even about the respect. Okay, so what's it about? <laughs> Listen, I I would never expect to be respected by a corporation. And he's right. I mean, he's right about that. That's true. Anytime so, people talk about these things, they say you cannot expect a corporation to act like a real person. It's not right. So he's just saying, I, he, he, I'm a happy guy. I'm not disgruntled. I'm not bitter. I. This is how you change things by talking about it. Like what? What is he? I, he I, wants I don't know. to this is look like he's fighting for other people. You change things by negotiating creators. a better contract. Yes, exactly. You, you exactly. like he he's standing on print. He he's like he's like theoretically standing on principle, but standing on principle would be to not do the work at all without a new contract. Right. Um, and then walking right. if they don't give you what you want. Maybe that's, he's just saying, don't do what I did. That's that the point. I could respect it. If he said that, yes. you know, that's, that's, um, a, that's a fair thing to say. There's I thought there, it was funny there. They want to pay him cash to to go to premieres <laughs> that's a little bit of a sellout move yes uh what's funny about this is also it's like this is proof that uh we're really in an age where crowdfunding and independent 
creation is the way to go. You mm -hmm. own the rights to your own characters. Uh, it's a lot more work, but the reward is often far, will far outstripe the page rates mm -hmm. that you're making for these things. We talked about Brandon Sanderson's book deal. Uh, he just made, what, 23 million on Kickstarter for his fantasy series that he just kickstarted. Uh, but I mean, it's a ton of work. He's going to have to do it all on his own. But the beauty of something like that is, or Chris Stuckman is making a horror movie and he, it's like the, it's like the most funded horror movie uh, on Kickstarter in history. Uh, there's a lot of cases in which uh, your um, Comics Matter channel or your Ethan Van Skyvers, uh, all of these people who uh, have created very successful Kickstarter campaigns for comics have found their niche and it's a lot of work, but they, at least they own the rights to their characters and they can do with it what they want. Um, that's the trade-off that's that you make. where you go like yeah. if, if you want to make more money you could theoretically do that but you're gonna have to work a hell of a lot oh, but harder he doesn't want more money brett he doesn't he, want respect he's not bitter he's not angry he's a happy guy he's just making he's his just, article cuts he just kind of what do you want to, <laughs> he, he's just a little uncomfortable and he wants to try his activist hat because the artist hat and the negotiating skills just didn't quite work out for him so let's try activism for a minute and see yeah, does that work well that's maybe what he, that's i don't what know he's, that's what he's working on. Yeah. Uh, there is this, I, I remembered this one. It says, uh, David Aja, I, I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name. He says, wants Marvel to stop crediting and start paying for comic book adaptations. I remember this one when the show Hawkeye came out. Mm. Um, one of the pieces of art looked familiar to me. It says, despite his and writer Matt Fractions, for better or worse, popular run of the character, uh, they're talking about Hawkeye, serving as direct inspiration for the show's aesthetics, straight down to one of the covers being recruited for the Disney Plus series marketing, uh, marketing material. Artist David Aja wants Marvel to stop crediting and start paying. Uh, and basically, it says the lack of pay for Hawkeye on October 24th in a discussion uh, where he, looking at the promotional poster, which is based directly off his art, right? He noted that, that they recreated it for the show. Um, and when I was looking at it, it was like, I was like, it looks familiar to me, but I couldn't quite place it, which is why this article was uh, really funny to me. But he says, in response, a fan declared that the official poster paying homage to the Matt Fraction comics is the coolest thing ever. DC Comics artist Bruno Redondo uh, pushed back, stop crediting just writers, mostly when the visual, when the visual tribute is just, uh, is like just as important, meaning like, uh, right, you know, the, the writers get all the credit, but the artists don't. So these issues permeate this industry and there has not been we could talk ya where uh, the last great contract is probably jk rowling who owns like everything with harry potter but now the the now the publishers won't even agree to contracts like that because they want right you know they want to own as much of that character as possible when it eventually when they find the next big art you know i guess the next big what would be twilight or Harry Potter or something like that. So these things will go on. And I think the only answer is to just create stuff yourself, make your own stuff. And then you don't have to worry about dealing with Disney, uh, and the corporate arm of, of your supposedly, uh, creative ventures. I say, go be creative on your own terms, do the extra work, but reap the extra rewards. Mm, it's too late for situations like this. Though. Yes. They're yeah. just sure. keep complaining. <laughs> sure. And these yeah. characters are, you know, like I said, America Chavez is not the most culturally relevant character in the world, but we'll, we'll see how that happens. I, I'm interested to see how this one comes out. Oh, I did find these, there was this, the comments were on this one. I only pulled up this article for the comments because there was a couple of really, it says, America Chavez is in no way a fan favorite. It is a character that is widely disliked by comic <laughs> book fans. She made some short-lived guest appearances in a few comics. Those appearances never ran long. Her solo book was disliked by most and barely made it the year mark before being canceled. I've heard, from what I understand, the first run is quite well-liked, uh, but then everything after that uh, got worse and worse. Same with uh, Riri Williams, same with uh, Kamala Khan. Nobody likes Miss Marvel. 
at all. Mm -hmm. So it's the same in any sector. You work for a company, they own the rights to whatever you invent, create, or improve. I mean, that's standard in when you sign a contract for a job, that anything you create there is the property of that company. Doesn't that precedence run back to Disney? Yes. Wasn't he kind of like the first guy that I'm, you know I, monopolized I know. all of those? Because like Oob Earworks was the guy that did a lot of the animation. I think his brother, I forget uh, Walt's brother's name, but he did a lot of the work. But I think that he kind of laid the groundwork for how that how that goes. It all goes under the Disney logo and whatever people create while they're working for him. I mean, yeah. it's Disney. You know, yeah. Mickey Mouse is Disney. You know, Disney. I, I guess the uh, the trademark is coming up again for mm -hmm. for uh, and they'll they'll lobby and keep it like always. Um, I think that's me and uh, uh, somebody who works here were uh, a while back. We're talking about that. Like uh, like Disney's like they you know Mickey's coming up for trademark and I was like nah. This happens every time, and they always end up keeping the rights to it. Of uh, course, they, count they, on it. They lobby, yeah, uh, to keep the rights for those characters. So, uh, just interesting to see how the business side of things, like uh, artists, like I would, I would be horrible at doing what, like what he has to do. I would be horrible at negotiating a contract. So I understand his pain. Like you don't want to be, uh, if you don't know your worth, yeah. depending on like if you created the character. I mean, he's been around since the '90s, but if you're creating something and you don't really understand what you're worth or your time is worth, and you're not willing to stringently stick by the, you know the values of that that's a big argument with i hate to get into this the wage gap is that men are more um a, a percentage of that comes from men are just more willing to be adversarial in contract negotiations uh they're willing to walk if they're not offered the right amount of money um in this case maybe they should just walk if they don't think that they're getting well and, and maybe it's because the practices have been the same for so long it's hard to make that change to be that first person who's like i'm not going to do this because i they want to they view working in the industry as more important than the financial aspect for their future so they're not willing to be the one that rocks the boat to make to, to start the wave that makes I'd changes also bet that creative types are worse at advocating for themselves yes oh absolutely. sure yeah they're more introspective and don't really understand the legal agreements they're reading i'm mm -hmm. like i said i'd be horrible at I, like you he like they should have lawyers re reviewing these contracts uh and but then you need a good lawyer they, you need a lawyer you can trust and i mean not it's, some guy out of the really... phone book yeah, that's it's it's tough. I mean, it's it's a legitimate tough situation that people like him are in. It's just like maybe have these conversations in private instead of trying to masquerade as yeah. a, you know a late to the party activist. I, I think my now I just have a story idea where he like he finds his lawyer because he penciled like art for like a lawyer in like a yellow pages thing back in the day, and it's the only lawyer he knows because he wrote the number like five thousand times in the art. <laughs> I like that. That's we, funny. we should do that. <laughs> All right. Michael Bay. Okay. My Perfect time for me to ruin your feed. Told you. You can't say I didn't. You're the you. worst. <laughs> At least I waited for a transition. And I won't do it again. 21, <clears throat> That energy drink. Yep. Shouldn't have given it to him. Yep. <laughs> Get a new bladder, dude. <laughs> get a second one. Yeah, he should just get us. He should just get a second bladder. If or just he... just pee's pants and just keep going. We'll get him a. That's showbiz, baby. Yeah, let's, that's we'll get... my. That's gonna be my catchphrase now. That's showbiz, baby. That's showbiz, baby. We should get him some adult diapers for his birthday. <laughs> He'd love that. Adult diapers. That's showbiz, baby. You gotta do what you gotta do. I'm trying so hard to have good posture, and it's just like...
do whatever's comfortable. Yeah, but it just looks like I'm less interested if I'm like like that. Fair so enough. I'm just gonna like. I'm very, very, very interested. <laughs> Tape your eyes open. Yeah, just look vaguely shocked all the time. That's what you should do. Whoa. Or people will just think I have no idea what's going on. Uh, people were commenting, who's the blonde girl? She looks like she's tripping. <laughs> Good? Good. Thank you. All right. So we're going <laughs> to talk about Michael Bay, uh, who nobody in the world likes but me. I admit that uh, I I have no problem with Bayham. I have no problem with uh, with all of the tropes that engulf Michael Bay movies. I love them. Uh, everyone is allowed to have like one of the things about these industries is like for something that's supposedly subjective, the, you're like not allowed to like certain things. Like you're not allowed to like uh, Michael Bay movies. You're not allowed to like Batman Forever. You're not allowed to like Batman and Robin. Of course, that one is objectively awful, but fine. There's people out there who probably enjoy watching it for whatever reason that is. And But in these industries, like you're not allowed to like certain things. And one of those things in past years has been critics hate Michael Bay and they want you to hate Michael Bay too. But I found this article about, because um, he's got a movie that came out this past weekend, which unfortunately did not do that well, but I knew that was going to happen because Sonic has been a juggernaut um but it says ambulances michael bay i have a feeling the uh i feel the american dream has been twisted and is disappearing so it says uh basically he's talking about i was at paragraph four or question four he goes into this a lot and he talks about you know he worked with uh you know on armageddon and he worked with nasa and he worked on the rock he worked with navy seals and he felt that uh like people talk about him being what is like considered to be hyper patriotic in a way, right? So uh, it, what was, uh, it was question four down here. It says, uh, it says uh, this question, it says, when I think of Armageddon, I think of it as the perfect American action movie. Big, blustery, a pageant to American know-how. Anyway, it's very American. Would you call yourself a patriotic person? He says, it's interesting because a lot of European press have started to look at my movies uh, and they say, you're a very patriotic director and do you feel the American dream is disappearing? And I'm like, that's a very astute uh, observation. And yes, I do. I feel the American dream has been twisted and is disappearing and that's how I feel uh, I was curious because Mary asked beforehand she goes like what would he know about the American dream yeah I don't know about um, his personal life or uh, his career his dad was a CPA like one of his parents was a CPA and the other one was uh, I forget what the other one did but uh, he went to like a, I guess like a Santa Monica prep school so he had a, an upper middle class living but that does not mean that you don't understand the american dream he started um interning for uh george lucas george lucas at 15 so it's all he ever wanted to do in his life was to make movies he talked about uh, a thing where it's like he, he like got like in trouble for like putting like bottle rockets on like a on like a toy train when he was eight and like wanting to make a movie of it and like and or like and like stuff got like uh, he put like basically you know like he wanted to make movies that involved big explosions from a very young age so mm -hmm. if that's not the american dream what is like you you tr <laughs> you find something you love when you're a kid you know every kid wants to be a firefighter or a 
or a cop or well not anymore but like every kid back in the day wanted to be a firefighter or something when they grew up and so you aspired to that and that was kind of uh that's one version of the american dream uh the other one is of obviously it's like you go to you you grow up you go to college you get a good job house white white picket fence 2.5 kids he is not married and does not have kids but i think if you're talking about finding something you're passionate about and living in a world where in a country where that's possible to make a living out of not just a living but a very very good living i don't see that as not being the american dream does that feel does it feel weird that somebody of his uh means talks about that i do not i don't think it's necessarily weird that he that he kind of understands in, in his own way from yeah. his own point of view what the american dream is what's weird is that he's just like yeah that's over and then the, inter the interviewer in true ew fashion is just like all right moving on so let's talk about the military and it's just like okay well what does he mean by that like why does he think is that because he's he's gen x and he was one of the last few to kind of slip he's in under not the gen x he's not he's gotta be gen x he's not boomer at, if he's gen x he's at the very edge of gen X. he's gotta be gen x he's uh, not a boomer what year does gen not, x start I think you he, had he, to be born in the he, late seventies, early eight. No, no, no. He's wait. born in sixty five. Yeah, that's, that's a not Gen a boomer. That, yeah, that's not boomer. The last boomer is sixty three. Okay, so he's there like right at the edge of boomer. But like, I'm thinking about his career. Like, I mean, Bad Boys was his first movie or first hit. Uh, first hit. Okay. Um, so I mean, like, when you think about the the, the filmmakers are really exploding in the nineties, like that was a Gen X explosion. Yeah. So I think that in many ways he typifies that even if he's kind of on the cusp between he, the two generations. He's very like uh, to me he's one of those people like uh whenever people are, like I get crap for liking him like well he knows who he is. Yeah. He yeah. like he's unapologetic about who he is which is a very American uh or at least it used to be a very American trait to be who you are and be and be unapologetic about who you are and creating what you want to create. He, he's an auteur. Yes. He uh, is his own auteur. He's uh, a very uh, unique yeah. style of uh, yeah. auteur. Like they talk about like they hate the fact that he uses the Dutch angles and the 360 camera shot i'm like yeah but he has a style right and do you like there's plenty of people who like uh, you could watch their work and it's so uh cookie cutter and by the numbers that you don't understand that it could be anybody so who's right. uh who's really who really wins in the situation well i that's why i think he's a he's a craftsman you know yes. I, I, but but he also he i wouldn't call him like a, a, a cinematic artist even though he is an auteur but i think i think he's more of an artist than ron howard yeah, you know, I mean, I think that he's got more of a per, more of a point of view and more of an interesting take on how to shoot a scene than somebody like Ron Howard has. And if, Ron Howard has had a great career. If the if the purpose of it is like if you tried to convey something and what you got across for better or worse is what you wanted to convey. Did you do your job accurately? Right. I would say he he does yeah. uh, on a regular basis. I think and so there's too. and there's also something to say like if you've ever been on a set where they have to do these incredibly complex scenes involving practical effects, whether it be explosions, uh, blood squibs, very complex camera maneuvers, whether for whether if it's gratuitous and over the top, uh, but that's still art. Uh, mm -hmm. Whether it's art that uh, you know snobby, stuck-up critics like is is irrelevant to this discussion. But it, uh, back to what he was talking about, he says in the movie, you can uh, your movies can be read as statements on America's military might. You have a thing, obviously, for vehicles and machines, but a lot of that hardware is military, and you work with the military on your shoots. Your films are comments on American strength. How intentional is that? See, this is like I, I came to a realization recently, uh, almost on air when we were like when I was doing IRL. Uh, I was like, I love the propagandistic nature of like American military movies, 
but not because of its American military. I love the idea of people fighting for something bigger than them. I like the idea of people being part of a group that is extremely tight knit, uh, in which you will sacrifice yourself for the people around you. I believe in a world where we, uh, you know, you lose friends over something you argue about on Facebook. I love the idea that something bigger pulls you together, uh, and brings people to that point where they can, uh, sacrifice for one another. And I think he does that a lot with his American military, you know, you know, hero's journey stories. Whether you like the Transformers movies or not, it's still the story of a kid who's a objectively, uh, you know, a dweeb uh, becoming a hero during a, an alien robot apocalypse. Was the movie great? No, but I loved it for what it was, especially the first one. Uh, anything after three? No, but it got across the point that they wanted to. But he talks about it. Here, he says, the first time I worked with the military was The Rock, uh, another classic, if you ask me. Uh, I was the first very, I was the first director to, re to get real U.S. Navy SEALs in a movie. As Bruckheimer always told me, it's where you get great stuff, real people to do what they actually do. And he just goes through and he talks about that it comes from a matter of authenticity there and it says uh it says i'll tell you the reason why i do it why he uses real people in the military he says when you start uh, meeting these people that believe in their country they put their life on the line and you get to and you get to know them it's fast it's a fascinating thing and i have been so admiring of people that would do that when i grew up i kept asking my mom uh will i have to go to vietnam it was always a big it was very big and scary for me being a little kid and seeing the body count i think there is uh he goes and they show war footage on the screen saying he looked at that with fear and terror and these are people that have volunteered to uh, represent something uh, a greater cause in their opinion whether what, whatever you believe about the u.s military or the u.s they've devoted their lives to that and i think that there's something to say about that they even talk in here about flags like he puts flags in his movie and hollywood finds that offensive because hollywood is anti-american nowadays says, when you start working around people at the Pentagon, people that go into hostile territories and rescue Americans, or when you go to NASA, you are awestruck. There's nothing like it in the world. It's a land of big toys. I think we're all crying on Armageddon when they literally shut down prepping the shuttle for one hour so we could go on the gantry. A loaded shuttle right there, and it's like, this is just awesome that we could do this because that's the brain power and the total, can -do, uh, the total American can-do spirit. I love that. Uh, I love the fact that there's still directors that believe in that because I don't get that sentiment from Hollywood these days. I don't. Uh, I get more globalist uh, in, in a sentiment. I, I feel like nationalistic movies are looked down upon. Uh, I don't know if that's something that you feel that you've seen within these industries. Well, thinking about this with Michael Bay and and having just read a, a book that kind of talks about uh, Hollywood and China's relationship, I was looking up, there's this uh, uh, op-ed from Variety in 2014, Transformers, a splendidly patriotic film if you happen to be Chinese. I you saw know? that. So, that was for Dark of the Moon. That was like right. right when Chinese influence started to permeate Hollywood. But so, I mean, he's not patriotic. He's a corporatist, you yeah. know? I mean, in, in the sense that, yeah, he's patriotic to the extent that this is a uh, a, a a product that can yes. have a global value so long as a large portion of the movie going market authorizes it, yeah. even if that's under an authoritarian regime. So patriotic. Yeah, he's well, I thought it was funny that he forgot that there was one flag in his movie. He was just like, oh, there's one flag. He's like, oh, yeah, there was another flag. So yeah. well, I, th I, mean, I think he's trying to play it off like he sure. like, like he doesn't think about it that much. Oh, yeah, just want, like, I, mm, I, I think it was mm. more like I think if he had a count of how many flags were in there, that would be weird. Mm. So have you seen it yet? Andrew? I have not seen it. Okay. Yet. We, right. so, we saw Sonic. 
this week. Oh, gotcha. So, um, gotcha. it says, uh, he, but he says he he thinks that we've lost the can-do spirit here in America. Mm. Um, I don't know how I, I if I agree about that. I think that if you are on social media a lot, that might actually be something you think is true. Mm. Um, uh, out in the real world, I'm not sure, but this is uh, this is something that's kind of been part of him for a while because I always compared him to you know the he always has the military, he always has American flags. There's always that underlying theme, and I found this old article from Mother Jones in 2014 that says Michael Bay Hollywood's conservative hero. <laughs> um, I don't think he is at all, but it just I, I want to show you this paragraph because it's hilarious how different things are now. Um, when you think about uh, it says uh, when I talked to the 49 year old director last year, he demurred uh, on the, he demurred on the question of whether he leans right or left. And I like I said I'm I don't want this podcast to be about politics i want it to be about whether the american dream uh whether he is authorized whether he is like an authority and whether the american dream might have died or not i don't know uh i think it's very easy to be blackpilled and think that that's actually true but i think that that's a product of uh the age we live in and the the way we the way america's viewed as a country is very different now than it was 20 30 years ago mm. but he says the 49 he says yes i am a political person and i have my views about america bay told me I'm very proud of my country. Obviously, it's going through a lot of turmoil and we have a very ineffectual government. It doesn't matter at all whether I'm liberal or conservative. It's not a part of what I do. I don't feel the need to go out and tell people what I believe politically. That's beautiful. That's how all people in Hollywood should respond. But well, that was kind he, of acceptable back in 2014. Yes, though. but as I'm he saying, like... He wouldn't have been left alone for saying that now. They barely left him alone in this article. He's yeah. saying that because he's a corporatist. Yes. I mean, that's... But I, would take, I don't... I find I that would objectionable. Take the same, I would take the same opinion. Yeah, I would take the same opinion. But you're not a corporatist. No. He's speaking from that angle, I think. I mean, but, and I, and I think that's interpretive. Uh, that's, I, oh, yeah, it's, it's certainly it's, interpretive, it's, but that's um, what I take from that. Uh, because look at look at his output. Look at the kind of movies that he does. I mean, I, I mean, they're not for me, but I can acknowledge that there's some, uh, some level of artistry and craftsmanship there. But, I mean, he is making a corporate product more so than the artists that i admire personally so yeah i see him coming from the perspective of being a corporatist that's why he's that's why he's going to play coy and say well it's not really about right or left of course it's not for you because it's all about the product it's uh for, like for me if somebody was to ask me the same questions i would just say like if somebody like asked me the question even just hosting this podcast like it's not it's irrelevant like what mm -hmm. i believe like i want to talk about this stuff and talk about ideas but my like first of all i hate the idea of labeling that stuff anyway so it's stupid it says Bay is obviously more private about his politics than, say, mega producer Jerry Brockheimer, who uh, worked with Bay on his biggest hits of all time. Uh, I think he worked with him on The Rock, right? Or, uh, or Armageddon. The Rock, Armageddon. Armageddon. Yeah. So it's just, I, I think it's interesting to hear how um, the opinions on, like, because we talk a lot about whether Hollywood is disconnected from the average person. That I do agree with. That mm. the average Hollywood producer, director, actor has no idea what the grievances uh, of the average American citizen. So it's interesting to me to hear their perspective on one that's not very like, I feel like his is different from the hive of which he belongs to, meaning the corporate Hollywood uh, machine, but it's still acceptable within their realm. He's still allowed to make the stuff he wants to make, but uh, I do think it's interesting to have this discussion with people who we wouldn't have anything in common with, right? So mm. how he sees America and we see America are very different. Do you see the American dream as something that's, that's died long ago? Uh, I don't think I'm qualified to speak on it, but the impression I'm getting... Are you an American? American? <laughs> you're, you're an American, well, thus you have the right to speak on it. Yeah. Sure, but um, the impression I'm getting of why he's come to that conclusion is that he's been creating in this niche for so long that 
niche. I don't know. Um, I say niche. Other people say niche. <laughs> he's, he's realizing he's giving it to an audience becoming more and more cynical and disillusioned with the American dream. Yeah. And that's, that's how he's coming to the conclusion that has died. Yep. Um, my, I think there will be a renaissance for this type of film, just like in the eighties with hyper, with hyper, uh, patriotic movies. Uh, I, I think that, you know, post cold war, I think eventually you come out of it and everything is cyclical anyway. And the pendulum always swings back the other way, or at least my, let me rephrase that. My hope, uh, is that it comes back around the other way. Uh, mm -hmm. and there's a, a niche for that going away. Ambulance is like the best reviewed movie he's had in ages. Interesting. Um, like a lot, like IndieWire gave it a good review, and getting a good review on a Michael Bay movie from IndieWire is like fine. It's like seeing a unicorn. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's very very hard to believe. So we will see how that happens. I I, I do want to see. I, I would like to see more people have more esoteric discussions about these things. Like I'd rather hear somebody talking about their beliefs about something. Um, like the American dream than actual policy and uh, politicians because most of them are vague, are so uh, unaware of what's actually going on anyways that they're they're speaking on things that they're not necessarily mo the most informed about so it'd be a lot cooler to have them have more uh, abstract discussions even if I disagree with them in a, in a realm like this that's a good point it's, it but I'm, I'm more I think about this I think I'm having a disconnect with Michael Bay and the American dream for some reason it's just not that 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 connection is just not firing off for me and I think it's because when I think about the American dream in terms of being somebody that you know kind of just really drives after what you want to do a very pure artistic vision and nothing's going to stop you and I and I'm also thinking that like movies are over like they lasted from you know 1919 to 2019 and that's it like they had a good hundred year run so I think they're pretty much over but when I see stuff from Sean Baker who did the Florida Project and Tangerine and yeah. uh, Red Rocket like that's somebody that I think is really making the American dream thrive in an artistic level like yeah. he, ta he takes his million dollars or less he makes a movie that he exactly wants to make and he doesn't compromise at all yeah. you know and, and he's doing that at a time when I would argue that movies are dead like totally dead Yeah. so I, that that is a good example of the American dream Michael Bay I don't know I think there's a disconnect there that's not really working for me perhaps when he was younger uh perhaps starting out like like the idea of of starting out at 15 uh you know interning for your for a director that you really respect mm. and working your way up through that machine if being sure. if being successful in an industry you want to work in whatever that your definition of success if that is the american part of the american dream then i would argue that he has uh he has accomplished that uh, well, yeah, I mean, he's well, if it wasn't for Michael Bay, we would not have that that iconic image of Will Smith running through the streets with his shirt off this and, is... and bad boys. And that's something Will writes about in his last uh, memoir about how like they argued about that. Michael Bay was just like, no, run with your shirt off. And he was just like, I'm not going to do it. That's stupid. And they argued back and forth and he didn't want to. Michael Bay was just like, you just have to listen to me. This is going to be the most iconic image. You have to just do this. And he did it. And then, you know, here, here both of them are. There we go. <laughs> very different places in life right now. <laughs> but both very successful. Thanks to the American dream. The, exactly. Well, there you go. Yeah. Like if, if 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 financial success is how you is how you gauge it, then they're both definitely in Hollywood. Very, you why certainly do you think do. that movies are dead? They just are. They at twenty nineteen there was like some sort of apex, and now it's gone. I mean, you've got you've got TikTok. You've got it, you know the narrative form of TV has advanced beyond what movies are able to do. I just they're dead. There's no. Do you just think no the video movies. content is so oversaturated that there's too much to consume? 
and that there, makes the quality go down. That definitely plays a role. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different uh, there's a lot of different factors that play a role in that. I think the attention span thing has something to do. I think it's the immediacy. I think that the funniest part about that is like like you said, TV has uh, has proven itself to be a superior form of storytelling now. Mm-hmm. But somebody doesn't have the like I said. I complained endlessly about the Batman being three hours long, but mm-hmm. I can watch Tokyo Vice, which is going to be like ten episodes at sixty minutes. It, it's a, well, but at your own pace, yeah. it's easier to yeah. consume. That doesn't mean yes. it's better. Uh, mm-hmm. No, no. So that's what I'm saying. It's like it's funny that it's like, do I want to watch a three-hour movie? No, but do I want to binge five episodes of an of a show that are an hour long? Sure, I'll do that. Even mm-hmm. though arguably I'm spending more time doing it. It's just visual mm-hmm. popcorn. Yes, like ex- it's gone before you know it. Exactly. So, we'll uh, we'll see. I, I would like to see a resurgence of uh, of that type of movie. I want the Cold War end of Cold War era <laughs> movies again uh, in, in the next five years, if possible. Maybe the pendulum swings back the other way. I'll see you in five years to talk about it. Well, well to, to tell me I was wrong, to, to, to be like, told you so, told you that was never going to happen. Probably, it's probably what will end up happening. All right. Chris is going to love talking about this one. Mads Mickelson. Mads Mickelson calls method acting bullshit. Pardon my language. I apologize. It's a quote. You have yes. to say it. Fantastic Beats and the Secrets of Dumbledore star Mads Mickelson uh, calls out method acting with one blunt word. Bullshit. In an interview with GQ, the actor held nothing back when describing how he feels about the acting practice. Preparation you can take into intensity. Or, uh, preparation you can take into insanity, he said. What if it's a shit film, but you, uh, what do you think you've achieved? Am I impressed that you didn't drop character? You should have dropped it from the beginning. <laughs> how do you prepare for a serial killer? You're going to spend two years checking it out? Uh, method acting is a practice which, uh, which, in which actors immerse themselves so deeply in a role that they embody the character they're portraying even off camera. Jeremy Strong's Succession and Lady Gaga in The House of Gucci are some recent high-profile examples as well as Morius's Jared Leto who reportedly uses cr- used crutches and a wheelchair to travel to the bathroom on set. Because he's playing Michael Morbius, who had uh, the yeah. So Leto is particular to have been known to use this method of acting for years. Uh, yeah, this is where they talk this about. This part is the worst. The mailing um, dead rodents. He, he mails Margot Robbie <laughs> dead rodents and supposedly, though never proven, like used condoms uh, to people on set. Um, it's uh, it is very um, self indulgent in, in like it's very like surface level to be like oh wow. They were so they like it. You're 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 conflating like um, I, it's not the same thing as being good at acting. It's one method that might lead to a good performance, but it doesn't make you any less dedicated than somebody who learns. Arguably, learning to turn the character off and then reaccessing those emotions from scene to scene would be more difficult to me. Um, I know uh, you know a, a decent amount about this stuff about uh, method and Meisner. Mm-hmm. Um, Meisner's uh, more focused what on um, like your surroundings, uh, using sense, surroundings, sense memory, sense memory, which to is access. the opposite of method acting in some ways. Yes. based on two different kinds of interpretation. Do you agree with him here? Uh, I mean, I think I think he's kind of oversimplifying the the conversation yes. a bit, yes. but I, I think it's funny. I think what he's saying is interesting. I think it's funny and entertaining. Um, but, um, I, I don't know. I, method acting, it's, it's, it's a catch all term for lots of different kind of goofy ways of performing. Yep. Um, there's, you know, it, it, the first kind of butting heads. And that of these was two like traditions. Lee Strasberg, right? Um, uh, Strasberg Institute. Strasberg. Uh, I see Stella him, Adler. I, Stella Adler. Yeah. That's the, it, from what I understand, it's like what, uh, uh, 
method acting is psychological. Um, what is it? And then uh, Adler technique is like what? It's uh, sociological, like a sociological approach or something like that. That might be the case. Um, yeah. Uh, slightly different takes on on the practice, right? Well, it all it all the whole method thing kind of stems back to Stanislavski. The, yes, the, the that's Russian. The name that I, yeah, the uh, the Russian theater. Right. So uh, I mean, but well, the, the first budding of heads of these two traditions of just like acting versus method acting was uh, Dustin Hoffman and uh, Laurence Olivier in the Marathon Man. You've heard about this? No. Okay, famous anecdote. So uh, Dustin Hoffman plays uh, a guy uh, in the movie Marathon Man in the 70s. I think it was 76. And to be a guy that's forced to stay up all night, he stayed up all night. Yeah. I think he may be done it multiple times. And his uh, he did scenes with Laurence Olivier, the great you know yes. stage-trained British actor. And he saw that his scene partner was exhausted. And he went to Dustin Hoffman and he said, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm staying up all night. And he said, my dear boy, have you tried acting? You know? <laughs> which is famous advice and there's been kind of two schools of thought that have splintered off ever since you know do, do you want to be like the 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 uh, rough and tumble you know uh, character actor that Dustin Hoffman and Pacino and De Niro kind of pioneered in the 70s or are you more classically trained more from a British school of thought which is just you act tired you don't you aren't tired itself yeah you're not putting that extra strain on your scene partners by you know giving them used condoms and dead rodents yes. and stuff like that so um but in any case, oh, okay, T to break it down very simply. So uh, there is a, a, a reasonable explanation for method acting. And it, the, the best explanation came from uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman when he played Capote. Mm -hmm. He said he stayed in character, but it wasn't necessarily like he was staying in character. It was just that he wanted to keep his voice and his posture in his body the whole time yeah. because Philip Seymour Hoffman's a very different person from Truman Capote yeah. everything from the voice to the physicality so it's kind of like you know you don't want to go out and play a basketball game without stretching and doing warm-ups that's more common actors who uh, like uh, British actors who play Americans will keep the accent well and, offset that's not the that same makes thing sense. as method acting well but I think that they, I think it's a very fuzzy gray area yeah. because people that worked with him I mean they you you might be on set with Philip Seymour Hoffman when they're making that movie and all of a sudden you feel like you're talking to Truman Capote because he's he his physicality is a certain way and his voice is yeah. a certain way but it's literally just like he's trying to make sure that his body stays in that place so he's not Philip Seymour Hoffman and then Truman Capote you know yeah. I mean he's he's just trying to maintain that level of physicality for the purposes of the scene and that makes sense yes. like that's a reasonable explanation but Daniel Day-Lewis he's He's just trying to make up for the fact that he's just a British pansy that has to be treated <laughs> oh, by the a certain way, way. By the way, Chris, uh, Chris, share with Mary that uh, Chris loves British people. Uh, I'm, British. I'm allergic to British things. I respect that. Oh, really? Immensely. No yeah. kidding. Thank you. Do you share that allergy? or? Yes, I do. All right. <laughs> now we're talking. I'm, surround I'm surrounded by bigots. I think we just took what they had that was good and, and brought it over here, and then they were just left with like the mediocrities. Yes. Yeah. From food to their awful culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, mostly the food. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. <sighs> no definitely. fans of, uh, what, what is it, uh, the pie, <laughs> the shepherd's pie? <laughs> That's, those, those are my Irish people that uh, that came from, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Um, Blood sausage? Ugh. Um, <laughs> anyway, what, what what do you take on? Uh, what I do think about I said? think I think that um, that the concept of method acting is something that sells well in articles uh, because it sounds like like they're very they're more dead. It, it comes off as more dedicated gritty, to the craft. It's yeah, it's shocking. Uh, the, I mean, they use that uh, they use that claim when he, when Heath Ledger died that they, which came out later is not true that he wasn't that this wasn't what caused uh, he was already like uh, struggling with. Um, 
anxiety and uh, insomnia far before doing the Joker role, but it made for great articles to be like, he got so immersed in this dangerous character that it led him to go off the deep end, which sounds great when you're trying to make copy for, uh, you know, for your, for your imprint, but it's not necessarily the truth. And it's, I think it comes off as more of a, uh, it does a disservice to the people who do learn to turn it off and turn it on uh, in their profession. Like I can't imagine like, uh, like we talk about that here, like what we do here, like I can have these conversations about all these topics all day, any day, but it's not the same as putting it out out there in these, uh, in this setting. Right. So who we are while we're recording this podcast, it's mostly who you are, but it's still like, there's a level of intensity. There's a delivery. That's not the same, uh, as you would be giving, if we were having this discussion with Mary over there in, in her desk and you here and me here, if we were just talking, you're still presenting in a way. Uh, and it uh, like, so if even that is a level of performance, like you do, I feel like it's uh, it does a disservice to the people who do have to learn how to turn it off and turn it on because it's not always easy. I, I when, when Mary started, I said, there's going to be days where you're going to come in and we're talking about stuff we're interested in, but there's going to be days where you're just not in the mood to do it right like where you're just you're tired you're exhausted uh you had a bad night so you got into an argument with a friend and you just don't feel like doing it but when you come on air you need to project the same character that you do most episodes right like you don't want to come off as a different person others people may they don't even have to hear what you're saying but they know right away that something feels different mm -hmm. you don't know why but you know that they do so for an actor to be somehow lessened because they're able to turn it off and then turn it on seems almost insulting mm -hmm. to me mm -hmm. in a little bit do you, so did, did you do theater were you, were, mm -hmm. you okay you did what, uh, so. yeah. did you uh what, what type of uh did you have to use similar to i mean if you're theater trained then you use uh um a, a specific technique right um yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I wasn't really much of an actor, although I did do a lot of acting. Um, and I just kind of, I, I just took more of a working class approach, just say the lines, and more of a David Mamet school of thought. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, David Mamet pioneered this whole technique that's kind of like, again, totally against method acting, and not really so much Meisner either. It's just like, the lines are just words on a page. Yeah. Say the lines. Yeah. Or his his advice, which I think is probably the best acting advice ever, is hit your mark, look the other fellow in the eye, and tell the truth. Yeah. Um, that's really all it is. It's always, um, it's always the line there. I was like, I want to accept. They're like, I want to find the truth of this character. Yeah, you can um, you can waste a lot of time with that nonsense. That's yeah. a, that's a very common like. Mm -hmm. uh, it's always sounds self-aggrandizing. What's what's my motivation? Yes, yeah. that's that's <laughs> what it is. Um, there's a who is it? Uh, ben Rifkin. He was uh he played the um uh he was like one of the main characters on the show Alias. Mm -hmm. He's kind of he, he had a thing where they talk about how he has a very like. Uh, it's not wooden but it's very it's very fatherly delivery but it works for all his roles like mm. it's kind of a no-nonsense approach to acting that he's mm. never really changed because it works for the the, the roles he's chosen to take it doesn't yeah. make him any less of an actor it means that he's found what he believes is the most authentic version of this character that just happens to work with his style of of acting uh and he gets the most out of that performance by doing so that way um that, yeah that's something that really drives me crazy is people talk about actors that don't act like they're always themselves ryan you know? reynolds is, that, is considered to be like that I, well okay sure well so my, my favorite actor of all time michael keaton is is that way like uh, bill murray is like that like but i but and, and bill murray's dug into this in an interview once he was just like that's not easy like no. that's that's harder in many ways than trying to put on a, a kabuki mask and 
you know, going full shouty Al Pacino. Like yeah. it's it's hard to like, okay, all these things are set, all the lights are going, all these people are around now. Just be yourself. Like that's in many ways, that's a bigger challenge than, you know, going for Joker. We loved so, uh we went to see Sonic too. Hmm. And Jim Carrey is the Jimmiest Carriest Jim Carrey you've ever seen. <laughs> it's so nineties Jim Carrey. It's amazing. <laughs> that's great. He's doing the thing yeah. he's like he's like dancing and turning to the side. It's just like watching Ace Ventura. Oh, or great. like, like he just knows how to move his face and move his yeah, body. That's amazing. There's a couple that's of way, like it's just him. There's a couple of like forty five degree hip turns that are like taken right from Batman Forever when he plays the Riddler. <laughs> that's like amazing. it's the same exact thing. Oh my god, I gotta see and, this. And it's amazing. Like yeah. it's, it's the most nineties thing and I'm I'm here for it. Like I said, the '90s yeah. are coming back. Yeah, if the man. '80s, if 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 uh, if they just had to ruin the '80s uh, by making horrible adaptations of all of the '80s cartoons, then damn it, I want the '90s to come back in a cool way by just taking those same actors, de-age them, and bring them back. I don't even want hey, new man. actors to do it. I just want them to I love it. Just just bring. I, I don't need. Um, you know what they can do? They can, they can, Val Kilmer can come back and they can have like Val Kilmer. I'm sure he's got kids have Val Kilmer's voice done by his kids uh, and just bring Val Kilmer back and de-age him for everything. Did you see the Val Kilmer documentary? I did not watch it. I, okay. I, I, I watched the first five minutes of it and it was like his, much, well, his too, son who sounds just, just like, like him, him did the voiceover. Yep. So it's perfect. Even yeah. here, like sometimes I'll be in my, in my office downstairs and like, I'll, I'll hear Chris talking and he sounds just like Tim. Yeah. Like, <laughs> from the other, from the yeah. other room, I'm like, eh, uh -huh. like, like there's definitely familiar, familial overlap there. Mm -hmm. So, sure. uh, maybe I, I do agree with Mads Mikkelsen that maybe it's not bullshit, but maybe it's like, maybe, maybe not that part of it, but that it's definitely like it, it does a disservice to the rest of the profession. When yeah, they're like, it, it works. It's just more self-serving. Thing. which is perfect for hollywood which is why like actually i looked up i was like i was very curious i don't know if i actually pulled these up like i looked up uh, a list of method actors and a list of uh uh, of Meisner of actors that uh, execute Meisner in the list of method actors is way longer mm. uh, maybe it's because it's all like a Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. an execution or like a, it's like a it's like a it's like narcissism right so uh marlon brando halle berry didn't work for her uh, <laughs> i've never heard that one John, like some of these don't sound familiar to me yeah. i actually like halle berry but you know i don't I've think women heard. can method act they, why it not? requires mm. way too much losing oneself and that's kind of what acting is you think they uh, uh, women have so much more self mythology? I don't think they can just throw that away so easily like men can. There are some singular exceptions. The one being Charlize Theron in Monster when she uh, played the that. okay, so she plays the serial killer Eileen Warnhouse. Uh, that yeah. is probably one example I can think of of a of a, uh, a woman actor who has really just lost herself in part. And of course, completely. this is not. Uh, this is not alphabet uh, alphabetized, so I can't see if Charlie if they have her on here. But some of these don't even look like they would necessarily. Usually, when when like I'm a serial IMDb'er, so mm -hmm. uh, I like anytime. Usually, if if someone like uh, very specific celebrities will get like it'll mention like where they studied and what technique they studied and a lot of their like interesting facts. And I did not see that for any of the for most of these people. Like I did not know Chadwick Boseman was a method actor, or that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio or I mean Johnny Depp I can buy. Um, Tom Cruise, like no, he's Meisner. Like, Tom Cruise is Meisner all the way. There, there you go. Then this is a the, go figure. Wikipedia is not <laughs> accurate. Yeah, no. Uh, Tom Cruise talked about that on uh, his Inside the Actor Studio interview because, like, he he just literally doesn't understand what that means. It's like method acting. Like it's just it's just not how he approaches it at all. It's yeah. it's all about sense memory. He's in Magnolia. His father character is dying. 
he's thinking about when his own father died, and yeah. then you get this powerful moment. It's all about sense memory when you're doing the Meisner technique. And I think uh, Adler actually she spoke out against that too, or, mm. or like uh, not wanting to to take that approach because she felt like it's it's exhausting. Or uh, it's uh, I forget what she said. It was it, I'm gonna maybe I'll look it up off the air. But there, she she definitely mentioned something like that. Like that would mm-hmm. be very difficult to to do. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so why is it that you think that women can't be method actors? Yeah, uh, women just have. At least in my opinion, they have a very intricate self mythology. Um, maybe they'd be more suited to this sense memory method because mm. method acting requires you to completely throw away yourself. And as a whole, acting is perfect for narcissists because they don't have a sense of self anyways. <laughs> mm. But Man, that's, uh, true. That's, that's why I think women wouldn't be a- as well suited to method acting. Well, They're also just... They're less unhinged. Like they can't fully throw themselves into something obsessively like men usually can because they're so other oriented and men just, they have this quality that allows them to fixate completely on one thing at once. Mm-hmm. Well, women are more multitaskers and they're thinking about others. I read an article recently that said multitasking is a myth and you can't actually multitask. I saw that. Yeah. Uh, that's that, somebody well, that better has at that's switching in, between, not yeah. doing yeah. multiple at once. Well, a great example. I think you think about Dustin Hoffman, who's a method actor. You think about the total narcissism of a role like Rain Man. Yep. You know, oh, I mean, yeah, right. The, the critic Pauline Kale said that it's just Dustin Hoffman humping the same note for two hours, yeah. you know? And that's, that's a perfect example of that kind of narcissism on display. But in also think about, off of what you said, like Jordan Peterson is famous for saying that women are more susceptible to negative emotion. I mean, he says that there's data to back, back that up. I haven't seen the data, but that anecdotally, that sounds right. You know, and so if you're more anxious. Yeah. yeah. So if you if you have that ease of access to those kinds of emotions, then you, what, what do you have to do wasting time with method acting for? They're mm-hmm. accessible. They're mm-hmm. right there at the surface if you need them. Meanwhile, meanwhile, us men got a schlub and find the emotion somewhere. It's a good lest, thing. It's a good thing we're narcissists. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> lest we lest we just blow the scene by not being able to access who we are right. uh, emotionally. Well, it's, it's cool to be obsessed yeah. with something. Mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> she, you're all for it. Yeah, you're all. She's mm-hmm. all for it. All right. All right. Well, we'll see. Like, I, there's gonna be some comment like, yeah, women can method act. Yes, they can." Bring it on. Give us examples. Shut Show up. us the receipts. Yep. <laughs> all right. Podluck. We are going to talk about box office first. In this one, uh, Sonic does beat its previous record, $71 million domestic debut, which is very good for a movie. I was wrong originally. I thought the budget was exactly the same as the previous one, um, but it got a bump. It has a budget of $110 million, which is still not that much for uh, considering the project. But yeah, it was like, it was like what was it? 85 million was the budget of the original Sonic movie. Mm. Uh, this one was a budget of 110, which means that if you take the principle of like uh, take the budget and then times it by 1.5, that gives you marketing. So it needs to make about 165 million uh, to break even, which I think it will do handily without any uh, without any problem. So so it th- did 70 domestic. It did 71 million dollars domestic debut. Okay. So wow. it says right. uh, Paramount's uh, so it says Paramount's family action comedy Sonic the Hedgehog 2 raced uh, to an estimated. 71 million dollar domestic debut setting a record for the biggest opening weekend of all time for a video game adaptation in north america i do love the the make sh- the, the make the made up uh like firsts that that hollywood's yeah. obsessed with 
first um, first movie written by someone born on the third of March uh, during the so and so during the year of the rat. Like Finally, that's <laughs> awesome. It's, that's what they love. They, they love. They, there's a wow. there's, there's a movie called Little Big League. Uh, it was a baseball okay, movie about the Minnesota course. Twins from the '90s. And there's a stats guy on the show that would always give like weird stats that aren't really stats. <laughs> it's like third. Uh, he's like third time being thrown out at third on the on like on the fourth Thursday in the off season. It's a great like guy. or no that might that might have been. I'm sorry, that was Major League. No, um, it was either. It was one of the two. It was either. No, I think it was. In, I think it was a uh, little big league. One of the two. Uh, it might have been. It, you remember? I think both, it was right? little big was league. Little... I was the one with John Candy in the booth, right? No, no. Am I no, thinking of no. rookie of the year? I can play that was too. Sometimes. That was rookie of the year. Man, that that gag sounds familiar. And little, I haven't seen little uh, big league, league had so. the actual Minnesota Twins. Uh, while the the actual Twins announcer doing it. Oh, in gotcha. That one. Oh, well. So. And it also had the best scene ever because Ken Griffey Jr. plays a total heel in the movie. Yeah. Plays a bad guy. Ken Griffey Jr. is my favorite baseball player of all time. Mm-hmm. And just seeing him be a dick to everyone is the greatest thing ever. It's also got Randy Johnson in it. Uh, so, so it says, uh, uh, Paramount's Parasonic movies provide a bookend to the, pa- to the pandemic era box office. This is like, it's really surreal to be like reporting on this now because this was like a big thing for me. Like I've been, for a lot of years, I've listened to a lot of like podcasts and stuff that involve these industries. Usually like while out uh, at work or, or doing something like, you know, at my job, like listening to this type of stuff. And I just remember Sonic, you know, them talking about Sonic right as uh, COVID was starting. It was a big deal that it did this great first weekend. And then all of a sudden this, you know, movies just fell off a cliff a couple of weeks later. So it says uh, the first the first one opened to 58 million over Valentine's weekend in 2020, one of the last films to open in North America without being directly impacted by public health concerns. Greenlit, Greenlit produced and released during the pandemic. The sequel exceeded all pre-release. Uh, OK, is it really the pandemic still? Do it, does that still count? <laughs> I have to ask. No. I, I I mean for since well, for as long as this, like thinking about all of the movie theaters that have been permanently shut down. Yeah, mm-hmm. for as long as we've done this podcast, I, I've I, I've railed against the excuse of COVID when Spider Man No Way Home makes like a gazillion dollars, and then the next week another movie comes out like eh, but COVID, mm-hmm. and I'm like, no, you're just making bad movies. You can't make that excuse anymore. Uh, you don't get that excuse anymore. So it says uh, it's only, it's coming to a 22% uh, above the original as far as opening weekend. Hmm. Um, so 22, uh, 20% above the 2019 family sequel Jumanji, which did that ended up doing really well based on like longevity. It was just, it seemed like it was just in the theaters forever, uh, and, and did really, really well. So it says earned 37 million across 53 overseas markets. And it has already been out for a week overseas as well. So, uh, let's see, let's go down to the numbers down here at the very bottom. Uh, so Sonic opens to 71 million. Uh, at 4,234 screens, uh, 10 million, oof, Morbius fell. How, what, what percent did they fall? Oh my goodness. 10 million to the, it doesn't list the percentages here. Normally it gives you a percent, like what the fall was week to week to hmm. week. And it's not giving me a, a percentage, but it made 49 million last week and it made 10 million this weekend. Does anybody, is anybody here good at math? No, look at me. Nobody nope. good at math. Okay. Not even uh, close. Ambulance only brought in eight million. That bums me out. Mm. It couldn't even beat the Lost City, which Man. only brought in nine million. So that that kind of kills me a little bit because I was hoping it would do better than that. But we will see. Like, uh, so Morbius crosses a hundred million dollars globally. I know that. Uh, you know, with global box office. So it says. Uh, what's the last one I wanted to look at? So. 
basically it needs to be uh, uh if it's over 100 million now with global box office it needs to make another 65 million from uh to break even on the film and if the average drop is like less than 50 percent. if it'll have about a 50 percent drop next week so it'll make what like another 40 million domestically next weekend maybe uh 35 to 40 million that puts it well in there with you if you count global as well we'll put out probably put it over 165 million by next week so hopefully into week two it's already making or on route to making profit whether that's true or not we'll see but it's a it's a win for something where they just they don't we we loved it we we reviewed it like it's it does yeah. not try to be something it's not it's a it's absolutely a family-friendly movie like take the kids to go see it the the kids will love jim carrey and the adults will love, love jim carrey for different reasons um so i highly recommend everyone go out uh, and go see sonic the hedgehog 2 um and encourage studios to make more movies and to be more uh, to be more open to the idea that when you make changes because uh people ask for it and you actually listen to the fans we will go out there and support you with our money because that's the only way you can make changes in this industry uh, a lot of people believe that's a lost cause i'm kind of on board with that we'll get a gem like this every once in a while but a lot of people don't want to try anymore but i'm willing to support them if they're going to at least try to make stuff that people actually want to see mm. so right on yep all right so oh boy <clears throat> jesse small <clears throat> we can't play the song on here not because of copyright but because we don't want you to file assault claims but against we're us. going to buy the song I want to buy. So it's our new outro. We, we want the rights to this song. So Jesse Smollett drops new song release, uh, new song after jail release. Think I'm stupid enough to kill my reputation. Yes. <laughs> yes, we do believe that you are stupid enough to kill your reputation. Yep. Um, you guys uh, don't take my word for it. Go listen. At least go to TMZ and listen to the one minute and 40 second version. That's all you'll need to hear. It's called. Thank you, God. It's called dot, dot, dot. Uh, it's it's truly awful. It's truly you you, you listen to it. To, would you would you buy an al a Jesse Smollett album? That would yeah. be uh, rights to this song would be what like twenty dollars. I think he should uh. pay us. I think he yeah. should pay us. A to pittance. Yes. Hey Penny. Him and Joe Casey from Marvel can get together and talk about royalties. <laughs> yeah. About the song. I have no words. I mean, it was so humiliating just listening to it. It doesn't. Like, it's it's not even rapping. It's basically it's just, just talking. Spoken words yeah. to a SoundCloud. Beat. Yes, it's it's at the and SoundCloud's being generous. That could have mm -hmm. been Pirate Bay. Like that could have <laughs> yeah. been like a like, like, like a starter. AI generated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they cut out all the thing where it says like mixtape.com. Like <laughs> I mean, even if you just had no context for the little clip that you played for me, it's just like this is just dreadful, dreadful. The, the production is also really awful because he's like really muffled. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like it doesn't sound like like you know. Did we record it on the inside? No. <laughs> that would be amazing <laughs> if there was a story behind. Yeah, I mean, it. like, it's an excuse. You know, like, not a good one. But. I mean, in the like, I could. But the funny thing is, I could see this song going viral, like on TikTok or like people using it. I in, hope like, so. Like in like really funny I'll be ways. Checking on that. It deserves a skewering. On yes. TikTok, yeah. Yeah. So it says he sings some people chasing that clout. Just remember this. This ain't a situation you think I'm stupid enough to kill my reputation. Somehow that rhymed better here than it did, it did. in the recording. Yeah. Like in the recording, it didn't actually sound like it rhymed. That actually sounded like <laughs> it rhymed. Uh, did song, he have a ghostwriter? That's what I want to know. Uh, or was it, this all in his jail cell? Was it a ghostwriter who secretly hates him? Because if so, <laughs> that explains a lot about the song. Yeah. Um, see, what I think would be cool is if he like... <laughs> Was if like he he like wrote this song and he did it at like and he like and he it became a subway jingle, 
like uh, like a subway sandwich jingle and that and then he <laughs> he partners with subway uh and, and just goes and becomes their spokesperson uh before like if he, if he doesn't go back to jail that would be pretty cool i could respect that i, I could respect like it, it, and like i don't know if he lives in chicago anymore or if he's uh if he's living purely in in la but he needs to if he's going to make a music career he should make an actual go of it and not whatever this was because it was embarrassing <laughs> I, I disagree it was a masterpiece well i mean yeah and i've been dying to say this <laughs> he put his whole jussie smolacy in this <laughs> <laughs> he dedicates to the song to the people who kept it real who kept it true who um the corporate press basically not him <laughs> like, like my favorite was like uh like they showed him in like in in, in solitary and says jesse smellett has been locked up with his attacker yes <laughs> uh so, so, so he says that donating all the oh so he's donating all the profits from the track to the rainbow push coalition uh secure the bag safety in the illinois in the illinois innocence project so there's uh, essentially no shame. They're like, we'll take your money, whatever. Yeah, well, yeah, well, and he, he has no shame. As you know, a jury found Jesse guilty of five of the six felony counts against him for lying to Chicago police. We all know all that's about. It's not important. Guys, go to TMZ and listen to... Actually, no, don't do this to yourself. Go listen to the whole thing, uh, but do not file assault claims on me because your ears bleed. It's not my fault. I did not make you do it. This is your disclaimer. Mm -hmm. uh, you do not need. You do not need to go and and listen to that. Please don't. Uh, don't blame me. Uh, no. You, who should he have been on the track with? Should he have featured somebody else on there? Ooh, that's a good, good question. question. Is there anybody? Nineties uh, Will Smith. Yes. No. Yeah. No. Mo no. The, yeah. He should just said modern day Will. Him and him or Chris Rock could have been on there with him. Well, Will doesn't really rap anymore, so this I'm thinking true. like I want to. I want to hear like Big Willie style. Chris Rock you know? had a very uh, an excellent song called um, Champagne. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's, um, that's classic. That's, a good song. Uh, that classic. that's an absolute. I don't think he actually does the singing on that song. It's a woman who does the singing on that song, but he does cuss a lot in the background and, yeah <laughs> uh, that, that is uh that that's an absolute classic so there is there is precedent for chris rock uh sure. performing music all right and i got one more thing i want to cover because i'm going to cover this stuff every time it comes up if you want to uh if you want to own stuff buy physical media because you get screwed we uh we covered this before disney basically edited out um, first, they edited out violent scenes from Falcon and the Winter Soldier uh, because Disney Plus, because Disney, because uh, they can't have violent content on Disney now. But for some reason, they brought the Marvel Netflix shows and put them on Disney because they own the rights to them. Uh, Mar uh, Netflix is basically just leasing them, right? So they could have put them on Hulu, which would have made way more sense. But instead, they put them on Disney, and now they have to use like a like a parental filter to be able to to watch it. And what they did is they removed blood uh, and violence violent scenes from it like there's a scene where a, a character shot backwards and you see blood i think it was digitally done didn't look like a squib it's removed and then on the ground in the original shot his eyes are open uh and in this one they close his eyes and there's no blood stain on his chest whereas it was visible in the first one so they do all this vague editing which they're kind of doing now where it's like that when um hawkeye came out they're like no like in the imdb section i don't know if it ended up being 100 percent true it said uh the first marvel show where no character nobody dies I'm like, so what you're saying is there's no stakes in a superhero show? Perfect. Uh, and then what they did is they edited out the Stanley cameo or the Stanley cameo uh, and like a, in a We Love You Stan at the end of the Punisher series because it ends with a bunch of Punisher violence of a bunch of people <laughs> dying and gun, you know, with, with bloody gunfire. And they somehow felt that I guess that was um, disrespectful to like show this scene of extreme violence uh, and then say, We love you, Stan. Like, so they cut it out. But people complained, 
and now they put it back. So oh that's what gosh. we're gonna. That's what we're gonna have to do did now. Did they put the violence back? The, the they didn't. From what I understand, they didn't edit the violence out. They just edited out the cameo because they felt it was in bad taste okay. to to put it after that scene. Right. So <laughs> the fans complained, and they put it back, and that's that's what's gonna keep happening. They're gonna keep you know gently making edits to things, and you're gonna have like really <laughs> bad. Uh, Mandela effect in like 20 years where everything's going to be a little bit different and you're going to have no idea why and we're all going to go nuts. Like think about that. You're going to This is why we need oh, yeah. VHS back. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, or just DVD just get a DVD, bro. Yeah. Yeah, just get a DVD player. They they don't I mean, I would prefer VHS. I love VHS, but that's just me. So it says once again Disney Plus has restored the original versions of some of the Marvel shows, this time restoring the tributes to Stan Lee and Reg E. Kathy on the final episodes of The Punisher and Luke Cage. Uh, but following the arrival of the former Netflix Marvel series on Disney Plus, some fans have expected that they could possibly be making cuts to the frequently adult-themed shows such as Jessica Jones, Daredevil, and The Punisher. However, that was not expect- what was not expected was the removal of tributes to Marvel legend Stan Lee and Luke Cage star Kathy. Uh, I think it's pronounced Kathy, but uh, that guy's awesome. Uh, uh, and it, he kind of looks like a, he kind of looks like a um, uh, taller. Uh, you kind of look like Tony Todd in a way at first, but then like you you look at him up close and he doesn't because so, they both had like this really unique look to them. Hmm. Um, uh, and it led to a certain amount of outcry amongst fans on social media, as it should. You're gonna, it's the only way you're going to have to, which is why you need to buy actual copies of the stuff that you like. Yes. But these shows don't have uh, like physical copy releases. So hmm. if they want to make changes, you're going to have to sail the high seas, which mm-hmm. I don't. I don't advocate for. Please do not do that. Well, you are now. Um, <laughs> I'm just telling him what they would have, what they would have to do if Disney hypothetically, if, if, purely hypothetically, hypothetically, right? If they hadn't changed everything back, that's what they would have had to do. So it says it now looks like Disney has once again been backtracking on edits that can only be assumed to have been done by accident. Oh come! On. I love that idea that there's some dude who just like like slipped Whoops. on a banana peel in an editing room Whoops. and hit a button and then the scene uh mad like a magical <laughs> editing machine just removed blood maybe uh, and he's like oh no i hope i don't accidentally send it to the to the uh to the server boop oh no i guess it's now on our alive on our site like the amount of hands it would have to go through for that to happen is like only a moron actually believes that yeah you could theoretically say that maybe they made an edited version that was for like a tv like you know, like when like when they would put movies on television and they edit stuff down for content, hmm. but it's Disney Plus, so it's not going yeah, on TV. Make sense. Uh, but I love the idea that it's a Disney's like, oh, sorry, oh, we don't know how that that was Jim. Jim, the editor, he gets drunk sometimes on the weekend, and he just comes in and he messes with our hard drives. Sorry, we'll you just start we'll, smashing the keyboard. Yeah, <laughs> like it was it was it was Jim. He's always been a troublemaker. We've given him a reprimand. We put the old version back. Yeah, I want to see that movie too. I want to see a movie of a guy who just goes in and makes edits to things and somehow manages to actually get it. There's like an office cat that just (laughs) walks over. (laughs) They've got like a mascot. No, it's a mouse. It's a Disney. It's it's Disney. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. So they've got a mouse, uh, a pet mouse uh, named, what would the pet mouse's name be? 
We'd have to give him uh, Steamboat, Steamboat Willie the Mouse. <laughs> Steamboat Willie. Steam, Steamboat Willie the Mouse is walking around, and he just he just walks on. Uh, and the He's problem hopping. is, Jim doesn't lock his office door where his of editing course. suite is. Uh, and the and the and the mouse gets in there, and he's like, he just starts dancing, and he leaves the project open, even the show's been out for like a year. <laughs> like that, that file is still open on the computer, and it just happens by accident to shows that got complained about by the parents to uh, the like the decency committees and stuff like that. So you know. Uh, we're sorry that we edited that out. It was a total accident. So I want to see that. I want to see or see Jim slip on a banana peel <laughs> and fall on his keyboard and have like actually that's... Steamboat Willie slipped on a banana peel. A little mini uh, uh, rat banana peel. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's like Mario Kart in there. It's it's perfect. <laughs> and what in and, and what in the outcome is always crazy edits to scenes that people are going to then later complain about. It never just deletes a scene entirely. Oh it's yeah, just, yeah. It's very clean. It, it's very like, clean accidental cut. It, he accidentally removed blood. <laughs> he accidentally opened like a three D uh, a three D rendering program and and like uh, I guess like an editing program and an effects program and did it himself. That's, what do you mean? that's you such don't a pathetic thing Disney? to say. I don't know. That's I. Of course, I believe wow. Disney. Why wouldn't Why wouldn't <laughs> I believe Disney? Like that's why would they lie? Why would they lie? So, uh, do you expect this to be more of a problem? Like, I haven't seen anything like this happen with any of the other streaming services that I watch. But Disney kind of has their reputation of being uh, family friendly, so it makes sense. But come on. It seems like they're trying to sort out exactly what they want to allow on their platform and what they don't. They and should have decided that earlier. You'd think they? you'd think they would, but I you mean, had clearly they have one haven't. job. Yeah. Like, like, but parents believe the word Disney equals kid friendly, and people just need to like walk that back because that is not true. Mm -hmm. There's a uh, not to mention content just gets old, like uh, dates itself. Mm -hmm. There is a Disney movie in the in the in the late '90s or early 2000s I I called going. Brink. Yeah. <laughs> A rollerblading movie. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a fantastic scene where Val, the bad guy, who did rollerblade in real life, by the way, Sam Horrigan, the guy who played that, that oh. character, uh, he looks at a character named Gabriella, um, and he says, if you don't like it here, why don't you go back to Mexico? Wow. <laughs> like, I don't know if that version is still on there or if they edited that out, but holy Big crap. Big disclaimer think, up yeah, front. There's also one called, like, The Color of Friendship, where, like, huh. White girls start calling their black friend the N word. What? <laughs> I didn't watch it, but that's like what I heard. Oh, they have that on Disney Plus right now. So uh -oh. Disney is not without its sins. Mm -hmm. sure. Um, and I just I love the idea that the like. Can you imagine having to be like the person who has to watch all the old content and then because they have they have like what are called like um like uh not intimate like like they have intimacy coordinators for scenes, but mm -hmm. like they have like uh basically trigger warning people who read through stuff uh, and say like, this could be offensive to this group. This could be offensive to this group. Could you imagine having to watch through Disney's old stuff and just having to be like, Oh my God, it's all offensive to someone because there's nothing that would go uh, without at least being offensive to at least some group now. I will put it this way. If your job is to sort through old Disney content and decide what's offensive, I, I can't, I just wish the most torture on you. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I no, no, not physical torture, of course. I'm not advocating for violence or anything. No, of course not. I just, I hope that it's a very painful experience I for hope you. You listen to Jesse Smollett's song. Yeah. yeah. Well, repeat for ten yes, hours. Yes. Yes. Well, while doing so. But still, you're safe and. <laughs> 
<laughs> wouldn't want anybody and to be uh, Disney hurt Disney pays yeah. for the therapy afterwards that you have to sure, get. Sure, as well they should. As yeah. well they should. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yes, Disney has uh, has its work cut out for it to not be censorious, but I, I don't think that they're going to be any better at it than that. So right. we'll see. We'll see. I'm going to keep my, like I said, I will. I know it gets repetitive, but I will bring it up every single time something like this happens because they need to be called out for it because mm-hmm. uh, we should be encouraging people to buy physical media as often as possible. Yes. Yes. Big believer in DVDs. Always have been, still am. Still got my collection. Uh, I left mine in Minnesota. I should. Uh, I should do you miss it? Uh, I... I, I put most of them onto like a hard drive. Oh, I, I gotcha. took the time to put most of them on a hard drive so that I don't have to, same with TV shows, mm. so I don't have to put a new disc in every time. Like long before mm. I was streaming uh, most stuff, I, I would put it all on, on hard drive so that I could just put it in a queue. and Special and, features too? No, that's the one oh. thing I, I lost out on is mm. not not having the DVD commentary is the those hardest part. Those are the part. real gems, man. The, those the common, special features that came with those double discs. The, yeah. the commentary is what I live is what I love the most because mm-hmm. it gives you the most insight into... Oh, the, great commentaries out there. The uh, the commentaries for old uh, for old movies are, are great. You got a so, you got a favorite? Uh, you know, like one of your favorite go to commentaries. Do I have? Uh, that would be her. The uh, I think it was uh, Van Wilder. Oh yeah, has a really funny uh, commentary. Nice. If I remember correctly, I love the commentary for Heat. Oh, oh, who's on it? Uh, Just Michael Mann. Yeah, it was Mann and uh, and, I, and not the stars of the movie, but Mann. And there was mm-hmm. another version. Oh, um, I had a girlfriend who never let me. She, she would make me watch the movie um, uh, A Walk to Remember mm. with uh, with audio commentary on, and I had to <laughs> like look, you know, not nuts. <laughs> but like, like, not like I wanted to be anywhere, but in that room. But it yeah. was like the commentary with like Mandy Moore and like oh, uh, Shane West or something like that. Yeah. Like, and I'm just like, like again, I'm like, Ugh, really? <laughs> um, like, I would rather, I, I'd rather just watch the movie than the commentary of this. Oh yeah, so. that's that sounds pretty dull. What about you? Ooh, there's so many good ones, but an all-time high for commentaries is the screenwriter for Speed. Oh yeah. He has an awesome commentary, just like poking holes and making fun of every mistake that he made in the script. And yeah. it's really entertaining. Yep. That's a good one. It's a, I also I mean they do it well for TV shows too. They pick like mm-hmm. uh big episodes, uh, and we'll do that for like, them, the Simpsons did it for every episode in those early days of the of the DVD releases, and those are great commentaries. That would be that'd be good. Like, cause there's usually one of those things where like once I start it, like I would like it for every episode, mm-hmm. but it's like you're not gonna get like they don't yeah. they don't have the time no, uh, not anymore. time for that. So yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you're so. Do you ever? Do you even know what a DVD commentary is? No. No. The closest I can think of is like Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh my god. Oh, you know what? There's a whole I found on on live cable. There's a whole uh, MSTK3 channel that just plays it on a loop. Yeah, it is. It is good. Yeah, my wife hates it. (laughs) (laughs) Hates Mystery Science Theater. Yeah, every time I put it on, it gets an eye roll. And yeah. I'm just like Aww. laughing my ass off. I think it's very funny. <laughs> pang, I love Mystery Science Theater. The pangs of marriage. Yeah, hey. <gasps> All right, thank you. Thank you so much for oh, coming absolutely. today. absolutely. Thanks for that having was, me, man. Let everyone know where they can find you on social media. Chris Carr 17 on Twitter. That's where I'm at. Just that? Oh, yeah. Uh, the 17 comes from, uh, the, well, of course, God created everything on the first day and on the seventh day he rested. Yes, perfect. <laughs> let them know where they can find you. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Kitty. And also follow everyone on the pod. Yes, uh, and we've got uh, the uh, Instagram going for the for the channel now. Yes, which you is do. Good. All right. Also, this is a call to action. Just tell us what you want us to do to celebrate our hundredth episode. We have mm. to. We have. We have this to is very important. Good we need to find out how we're going to celebrate. We have to. We have to figure that Are out. Are we going to have well. a dance party? 
I'm not dancing. You can dance. I, I can script you to dance as uh, as uh, as the um, not host. Are I, we are we gonna play Among Us? Even uh, though you'd have no idea what Among Us. Was? I had no, I had no idea what Among Us was. <laughs> yep. no. uh, that which is, she likes to make me feel old, which is not fair. You don't it's feel that way. You just, us. you just are. I'm <laughs> old soul. Sad. No. I'm going to go cry in a corner. <laughs> All right, guys, you can follow me on Instagram at Brett Dasovic. For the show, please go to the YouTube channel, subscribe, leave comments on the videos, and like uh, like them as well. We're about to hit 15K uh, yeah. any, uh, any day now. We're at like 14.8, something like that. Um, some of that's doing very, very well. And then in the description box for the channel, uh, for all the videos, there's a link to the Spotify playlist, which gives you uh, the full podcast start to finish all the episodes we're also on amazon music uh apple Podcasts, and on pandora and then if you want to follow us on social media we are on twitter at pop culture underscore show we are on instagram at pop culture crisis pod and then we are also on facebook and on tiktok at pop culture crisis and dane will be made very happy if you follow us there and he will be in for our episode tomorrow so we'll see you then guys bye